Welcome back for a week 13 recap. The second to last week of buys, the second to last week in the regular fantasy season. Oof, it is coming down to the wire. Well, for today, we had a relatively pretty much low scoring day across the board, other than some big numbers from the Dolphins and the 49ers. It was a cash week where there was a clear train, only a couple really 2v2s off of it, and unfortunately, quite a few injuries that we are monitoring. Time to break it all down right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I'm your host, Justin Herzig, and we are back to recap some football. Biggest story of the day has got to be 49ers going to Philly. Three-point favorites, obviously back and forth from the fans on whether or not it was served, and turns out they dismantled that Philly defense. They put up 42 points, only allowed 19. That was a fun one. And then in the other high scoring we saw coming from the Dolphins, not surprisingly there, put up 45 points against the Commanders. Tyreek going for two pretty early. Achan going for two. Mostert getting one. Just lots of fantasy goodness when you're playing against the Commanders that has pretty much mailed it in. And then, as I mentioned at the top, quite a few unfortunate injuries to playmakers that I will touch on at the end of the podcast. But first, let's get to the cash game recap. My team scored 169.36 points, finished in the top 20% of double ups, 50 50s, won 71 out of my 75 head to heads, not accounting for 26 head to head ties. Definitely a lot of ties, but that's to be expected. And, uh, you know, when we expect there's going to be a pretty heavy train, and I'm jumping on it. So if you played cash, you'll probably recognize the team I played in the $5 single entry double up. 7% of people played this lineup. If you look at the multi-entry, just 13% played this lineup. You know, there's occasionally weeks where a lineup is just it's pretty clearly the play or at least a strong core with maybe a 1v1 or a 2v2 off of it. And that's just what happened this week. In those weeks, I usually try to change up my contest selection strategy a bit. I put a tweet out earlier in the morning before the slate started where what I said was, Today's a much better day to be scooping head-to-heads than playing in double-ups and 50-50s. In head-to-heads, we either have the same lineup or I feel good about my advantage. In double-ups and 50-50s, we're going to be fighting the rake with all the dupes. GL, play smart. So, Thought process here was based on a couple assumptions to begin with. So one, I felt that this lineup would be a popular train, especially among the higher volume players. So especially for the ones that are playing in the kind of multi-entry double-ups or a bunch of the... Uh, 124s, this uh, 120, 124s, 128s, the 64s, the ones that kind of continue to pop up. And the second is, I felt that the train was a favorite over all other lineups. You know, sometimes there's a train and you're like, hey, I think that I actually have a better lineup than it. I can pull off a 1v1, 2v2, but at times when I feel like I think the train is the optimal play, well, and I believe it's going to be a popular train. That's the situations where I actually want to stay away as much as possible from those double up 50-50s or at least not go heavy in the volume in the multi-entry ones and as much as possible lean into the head-to-heads. So in these cases, I'm more than happy to take as much head-to-head action as I can get. Normally, I'm willing to accept head-to-heads. I post up to $1,000 each week. You can always find them in the lobby. This week, It's a little different because I actually not only put my head heads, but then I go through the lobby myself and I scoop just about any name I didn't recognize in the $5, the $10, $20 $20 levels, and occasionally higher up. Because in my mind, 
best case, my opponent plays a suboptimal lineup and I've got a major advantage. They made a major mistake. Maybe they didn't play McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill. Maybe they didn't pay all the way down and get the Brevin Jordan cheap there. Maybe they got cute at quarterback or built a stacker. I don't know, but I'm willing to say, hey, I'm going to put my best lineup forward. If you want to beat me, let's go for it. Because worst case, from an EV standpoint, what really is the case, like we end up playing the same lineup and then we just get our entry fee refunded. And as you saw with mine, so I think I entered, I think I had about 101 head-to-heads. 26 of those ended up being ties. And yeah, so hey, that person also played the same lineup as me. Good job, good effort. We each get our money back. We don't lose any rake. No big deal. For the others, I ended up having, lineup did well, and that's where I took the 71 out of 75 head-to-heads, but even not accounting for results, just from a process-wise, so fine, those ties, no rake is lost, we get our money back. But when you look at the double ups, the 50-50s, the risk here is that so many people play that lineup that you end up just losing money to the rake. Consider the most extreme example of this. So, you know, let's say in 100-person 50-50, hypothetical, say all 100 people play the exact same lineup. What happens? Everyone loses 10% of their entry fee to that rake. You know, hey, 100 people, a $10 one, End up, each person gets $9 back because the the contest still gets its break and we're all splitting for first place of the cash line, which is, you know, splitting them off. Then there's not enough money in the prize pools. That's why you're getting that $9 um, for a $10 and everyone takes that 10% rake. Now, you know, let's adjust it a little. Say, hey, 50 play the train, 30 people beat the train and 20 people lose to it. In that situation, you'll then have 50 people that you're sharing the train with you all finish in the money, but you're not getting a full double up. In this example, you're actually losing money on the entry because the people who finished ahead of you, those 30, they took the top 30 spots. And then after that, you're fighting just to kind of, you're fighting with all those other people who you've tied their entry on. And so you're not actually getting the full double up. You're splitting that. And in general, the more people that play the train, the more likely that the cash line is split on the train. And then those people, if you're on and included, are not getting that full double up. You can obviously still profit in these situations when there's a train, but the risk substantially increases as more and more people are on that train. And that's risk that doesn't exist when you're playing a head-to-heads because in the event you're one person has the same lineup, you both just get your rake back and it's like you never entered that contest. My one exception here that I'll mention is when I do play a lineup on a train and I know that I can gather enough information in the early games and I have a strong swap option for the late games, I'm then okay playing more of these 50-50s and double-ups because I can use that early info in the swap equity to increase my EV. Now, that's a different situation for this week. I didn't really love it because there was some equity that we were gaining from information around, okay... Deontay Johnson was an early game play and the 1v1 and 2v2s off of that, such as a Josh Downs or a Curtis Samuel were there as well. So it gave me a little kind of uh, confidence that, hey, if my Deontay busted, if the Downs, if the Curtis Samuel, if the Cortland Sutton, if these other wide receiver plays that people would play other than Deontay Johnson and to some degree Elijah Moore, which we'll get to, then I know that I still had a lot of options to go with those late swaps. In this week, I didn't really need to. We had a little wonkiness with the Pittsburgh-Arizona game and the rain delay, so we didn't even get to see the full results. But the Atlanta D that we played ended up doing very strongly, so we just stayed stand pat. Uh, but that's an example where, like, hey, you can play these double-up 50-50s. 
know where you may have some form of a leverage and you may need to get off the train if you feel that it's worthwhile. Um, because in those examples where, hey, let's say, you know, those, let's say the people who didn't play your train, they a lot played Josh Downs or they a lot played Curtis Samuel and that other player went off, had a huge day. Now in this situation, you're saying, okay, best case scenario is I beat that team who's already ahead of me. But when you do beat it, you may not get a full double up because you have so much of a train. Or you could say, hey, I'm, you know, and in that situation, maybe you're saying, okay, I've got $10. And if I win, I'm only going to profit like two, three, four dollars. Or you can say, you know what? I'm willing to get off the train because now, at least in this situation, if I can beat the train and that Josh Downs, Curtis Samuel, other one, I'm now getting my full double up. So getting off the train maybe takes you from a $10 to a chance to win nine first staying on the train goes from $10 to maybe win two or three and still be stuck in that train and split the cash. So a lot of stuff here, a lot of math, but um, I don't want to go too much into it from a theory aspect, but if people are interested in learning more about this, um, feel free to respond to the tweet that I put out just announcing this podcast. But if you have any questions there, I can try to kind of answer those, but wanted to at least kind of shed some light about these unique situations where there is a train and how I'm playing it accordingly. All right. Now, onto the lineup and why I was kind of confident that this would be the train and why I was confident with running it. So quarterback was Brock Purdy, running backs, CMC, Zach Boss, Rashad White, wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, Deontay Johnson, and Elijah Moore, tight end Brevin Jordan, and DST Atlanta Falcons. Okay, starting off at QB. Of the elite QBs that we have in fantasy this year, only Jalen Hurts was on this slate. No Lamar. He's got um, you know, no Lamar, no um, Mahomes, no Josh Allen. Two of those were on by. Mahomes had the late game. So if you want to pay up for the elite ones, you had Jalen Hurts, but he cost $8,200. He was going against a San Francisco D that's given up the third fewest points to opposing QBs. And, you know, in a week where it's essential to get up to both CMC and Tyreek, I quickly ruled out any consideration here for paying up for QB. So I'm like, okay, I see some down, you know, I see some cheaper options I can be down at. What am I looking at here? So cheaper QBs, people were considering were really three, I don't know, maybe three or four, but Brock Purdy, Russell Wilson, and Sam Howell were all around that same price point and all got decent ownership. I personally never really considered anyone besides Purdy this week. For me, he was $6,100. He's going against Philly, who gives up the second most points to opposing QBs. We expect it to be a potential, potential shootout and just... He has absurd levels of weapons at his disposal now that all are healthy. We literally talked about this last week, but when you have a healthy, healthy McCaffrey, Ayuk, Kittle, Debo, it's so hard for defenses to cover all of these. And he's just like, whether he's a system QB, whether he's an MVP candidate, I don't know. I'm not going to, I mean, I have my opinion. I don't think, he, whatever. doesn't matter. In this offense, he creates fantasy goodness, and especially when they need to be thrown. And that's what we kind of expected with the Eagles is that they would be throwing whether or not the Eagles could keep up, I don't know, but like they'd still be playing very aggressive the entire game. And that's exactly what we saw. And so for Brock Purdy, he had a solid medium projection. He has a ceiling outcome in his range. That was all enough for me to kind of take him at $6,100. As for the other two, let's start with Russ. He plays at Houston. Solid matchup for quarterbacks. You get the dome, you get the good weather, you get Houston who's putting up points. And Russ continues to have, I'd say, decent games. He kind of pulls him out of his ass a little, but he has decent games. But he's just shown to have like virtually zero upside in this offense. If you look, even if you just want to kind of do some box score looking, he hasn't surpassed 20 fantasy points since week four. 
and he's only thrown for 200 plus passing yards once since that week four game. Probably if we're going to go with like a median outcome and projection, like the reason why he had a decent projection is because like it was safe. Like I think you could very confidently say like, hey, he's got a good chance of scoring between 16 and 19, 16 and 20 points, but he's rarely going to smash and have that huge game. Just not the way that this Broncos offense plays. That's not the way that he's playing in that system. So yeah, it's a safe projection, but you really, I want to be getting skilled players. I want to be getting positional players that have substantial upside. And that's why I saw him. Purdy didn't see it in Russ. As for Howell, he's at $6,200. I actually like this play a decent amount. And I made some, uh, you know, good, I made some tourney teams. (laughs) I said good, even though they didn't stack anything because McLaurin got zero and Logan Thomas got two. But I made some teams that I thought were good. But the risk for me was just too great for cash to play Sam Howell. I think there was legit blowout risk where they could either take Sam Howell out they could take all the starters out, including him. We actually kind of saw this blowout, but the blowout risk played out a little differently. The team basically played to like not lose by that much. And if you look at their run-pass balance, I think it was pretty much even, despite them trailing the entire game. So their passing rate over expectation is going to be extremely low for just a weird, wonky, like... I'll go on a little rant on the Commanders. This game was absolutely just abysmal, poor coaching for them. I mean, Tyreek Hill, they played him in man coverage with no pressure off the line. It got them beat over the top early twice where Tyreek could, I'll say, walk in the end zone, but he ran into the end zone completely untouched. Even Tyreek after the game was basically like laughing about it, like, thanks for playing man coverage on me. Um, you know, thanks. It, that he's going to beat you when you've got these guys who are trying to play like, you know, man coverage, giving him a couple yards. He's just starting off the line in motion and just bolting by you. You need to get some kind of context, some kind of touch on him, or be playing a bit more of a zone. So you have safety coverage over the top. I don't know. It was just even Tyreek is laughing at the coaching decision there. That's this. Okay. It is what it is. Then we keep going on fourth quarter starts. Commanders are down three scores. They went for a 53-yard field goal. That would have kept it a three-score game. A 53-yard field goal, I think it was fourth and eight. When you're down by, I think it was 22 points, 23 points, something like that. It was a three-score game. But, like, what are you doing late in the game trying to kick field goals to keep it to a three-score game when you're trailing the Dolphins by so much? And then with two minutes remaining, they get the ball back, and they just run Chris Rodriguez up the middle three times to run out the clock. If they were actually tanking for like the better pick next year, maybe this would be smart, but there's no chance I'm giving giving Ron Rivera that much credit. He probably won't even be there for the pick next year. Okay. And rant there. Um, I don't know. I, I had those Howell stacks, so I was really hoping just for some more passing and just more out of that game. It was very frustrating. But. All right. So I played Brock Purdy along with 54% of the field, also played him. He put up 32.46 points. Eight and a half more I'm looking at than every other QB. Jalen was the next highest, putting up just under 24 um, from a points-wise. And then from an ownership-wise, Russ was the next highest, owned at 13. Sam Howell at 8%. But yeah, Brock Purdy feels like the right play, 54% of the field playing him. And we got the uh, probably top 10% outcome of his games. Okay, moving on to running backs. Starting off with the free square, Zach Moss was played by 86% of the field. Just going to be straight up, very 
blunt here. If you did not play Zach Moss in cash, there is a major uh, hole in your game. And maybe you aren't using rankings. Maybe you're playing way too much of IKB and you think you know better. But whoever the 14% of people are who did not play Zach Moss, no ill will or hard feelings or anything, but you need to take a, a look at yourself uh, and the way that you're playing and the way that you're evaluating this game, because that was probably the easiest play we have had of the year and probably in multiple years. Uh, he was an obvious, obvious misprice with the Jonathan Taylor injury being announced that their salaries came out. Yes, he only put up 7.7 points, but if you're using that as a reason, I know that you guys who are listening to this podcast did not, I mean, I played Zach Moss and didn't fade him. So I don't know why I'm getting into that, but he put up 7.7 points. He was still obviously the right play. He had 21 touches. He had all the backfield carries. He felt what, I don't know, it felt like he had 10 different touches inside the red zone. Um, yeah, didn't get the results there, but expecting bigger games for him in the next few weeks because if you heard earlier this, earlier Sunday morning, we also heard that Jonathan Taylor is now probably going to be out something around like three to five weeks and uh, may not be back for the regular season. We'll see. Next big running back question was, do you play CMC? And a lot of this slate was really, do you play CMC? Do you play Tyreek? And I personally, I made a priority to get up, up to both him and Tyreek Hill. And you know, there are cheap options on this slate that really made that possible. And so for CMC, he was the second best points per dollar running back behind Zach Moss. It was a pretty easy click as long as you can fit in both him and Tyreek. And I want to say like, yes, $9,000 for Christian McCaffrey. That's a pretty good price. We like that. I don't want to call it a lock button because... Tyreek Hill, I think, was more of a you know uh, a necessity. And if we didn't have the value that really popped up, then maybe you would have had to say no to CMC, and that would have been okay. But given we could use, you know, given we did have these cheap options, we can go through. CMC became a nice—I uh, don't even want to call it a luxury, but a good staple of the lineup. Let's see, 34% of people also ended up playing him. He put up 22.3 points, not the hugest game, but still just getting 22 points in your lineup is always a, is beneficial. Um, happy with that from a process-wise, and yeah, 34% of people playing that. Final RB spot was a pretty easy decision. Given what we've seen out of Rashad White, his role in the offense, playing against Carolina, who's up the third most points to opposing running backs. We just saw them give up multiple touchdowns to Derrick Henry the week before. 58% of the field agreed here, making this a pretty popular trio of running backs. Moss, 86%. Rashad White, 58%. And CMC at 34%. The other two RBs that were popping in projections and were decent values, and we saw played a decent amount, were Jalen Warren and Ramondre Stevenson. Starting off with Jalen, solid matchup, pretty efficient, but he's still splitting too much work with Najee Harris, and I think there's still macro offensive risk. Um, yes, they put up the 400 yards last week, but this still is Pittsburgh, and we've still seen some kind of downside to this larger offense. Ramondre on the other side. Honestly, Ramondre was a solid play for the same positive reasons that I played him last week, and now he's getting a good matchup versus the Chargers. He actually started this game quite strong before unfortunately getting injured in that first quarter. So hard to know whether that would have turned out, but I don't really fault people for playing Ramondre. Um, would have been, if I was going to do it, I would have gone Moss, McCaffrey, and Ramondre. But Rashad, if Rashad White wasn't there, that would have been the play. For me, Rashad White with that matchup was just too good to pass up. But I don't I don't fault people that were on the Ramondre. I think that would have ended up being a pretty decent play. 
As for ownership, 17% of people played Jalen Warren, 15% played Ramondre, and no other running back was played by more than 10% of the field. Okay, let's go. So QBs, running backs, in my mind, no real like difficult decisions there. Wide receivers where we really start to see it kind of mixing up a little. So first decision, as I've alluded to, Tyreek Hill. For me, I thought he was the best payoff option in a favorable matchup versus the Commanders. Honestly, there's probably very few matchups for Tyreek where he's not going to be the highest projected play on the slate for flex spots. His role in this offense is just continues to be insane. And I'm very, very interested to see what happens in the fantasy playoffs with his matchups versus Jets, Cowboys, and at Ravens. Pretty much murder row for, you know, going get for offenses going up against defenses. But if anybody feels like they are matchup proof, Tyreek Hill could be the one. It'll be very interesting from a fantasy standpoint what happens with these Dolphins. But yes, for today, 74% of people also played Tyreek. Rewarded us all with a 35.3 point day. Second highest player, uh, obviously, other than Zach Moss today, but it feels like a lot of people were like, okay, I've got Zach Moss. That allows me to get up to Tyreek Hill and let me start building from there. My other two wide receivers, I'm going to just say they're pure value plays. I really only decided uh, kind of who these, who to play for these after filling in all my other positions. There wasn't anyone in my mind that was like the, hey, must play. Elijah Moore was my favorite near the min price play at $3,500. You know, given that I'm trying to spend up with the CMC and Tyreek, I needed to go cheap at at least one wide receiver. And he was the one that was very close to that min price, but not really your normal kind of min priced wide receiver. He plays just about every, every snap. He's got a 19% target share in the season. And now he's getting a QB who's actually going to throw more often and likely more accurate than what we've seen out of DTR the past few weeks. We could convince ourselves, no, hey, maybe they have more short passes. Maybe they have more quick passes. Maybe, you know, Joe Flacco would have, you know, you know, he has a rapport in playing with Elijah Moore with the Jets in the past. So lots of kind of narratives we can talk ourselves into. But even without those narratives, the numbers, the analytics still say like, hey, he was a very solid play at that 3,500. And so I like that. And then for my third wide receiver, this was honestly just a price working out kind of thing. Price worked out. Plug in Deontay Johnson at 5,000. Solid matchup for Arizona. He's still able to earn targets at a high clip. Nothing really exciting, to be honest, but just decent enough play at the right price. And yeah, this is the one that if it wasn't fitting directly into this lineup, you probably didn't play him. And I get that. He was only played by 14% of people. And more than half of those were the ones who played him in this exact lineup. If I had $100 more, I would have played Josh Downs. If I had $400 more, I would have played Cortland Sutton. Money was very tight. I couldn't find that extra hundred or four hundred dollars without kind of nuking other parts of the lineup. So went with that one and uh, you know got a little lucky probably at the end with the touchdown. But from a process wise, hey, Tyreek owned at seventy four percent. And I'll go through kind of the two v two stuff a little later, but just for the with the wide receiver stuff to show like Tyreek was the highest. After that, it really was kind of a hodgepodge. You had Curtis Samuel at twenty seven percent, Sutton at twenty two percent. My Elijah Moore at 21%, Debo at 20%. Debo put up 38.8 fantasy points as well. So that was huge for people who went with the Debo aspect. And Downs at 17%. My guess for the Debo at 20%, because he wasn't that cheap, is people who played Debo didn't play CMC and Tyreek. They probably chose one or the other. They probably played Tyreek, Debo, and then paid down. Maybe you did one of the Ramondres or something elsewhere. 
Um, would have been probably some interesting builds there, but not ones that I think are kind of on the optimal aspects. Now for tight end, on a slate where you know we needed to find value in order to play both the CMC and Tyreek, Brevin Jordan was that perfect fill-in in my mind at the tight end position. And there was no other smash value play, I'd say. He was, you know, Brevin Jordan, min-priced, $2,500. He's filling in directly for Dalton Schultz. He's got a solid matchup at home in the Dome, playing against Denver. Like, this was pretty close to a free square once you had decided to spend up for CMC and Tyreek. If you weren't trying to save money, yeah, I could see, like, you know, hey, maybe you want to Trey McBride and you're spending up there, I think, at 4900 Or maybe you want to find a middle-range one, you know, but no other starting tight end was within $500 of him. It was a solid kind of you know situation. And you know, field degree, 47% of the field played Brevin Jordan at that min price. Next highest was David Njoku, who this really just surprised me. So Njoku is $4,100. That's $1,600 more than Brevin Jordan. And 21% of people played Njoku. I get that projections liked him. And I get the, the safety that Njoku really provides you is that he's gotten double-digit points every week since week six. But for this slate, you can't just evaluate like players in a vacuum and be like, I want, I'm okay paying because David Njoku is going to give me those double-digit points because we know he's done it. Well, Brevin Jordan doesn't do anything. He's nobody. He could literally have zero targets. But the importance of that $1,600, that was so costly for a week that we needed to get up to CMC and Tyreek. And so... We were considering a position like tight end that has minimal upside outside, you know, for the majority of options and Joku and the other options all pretty much ended up, they busted. And it's not that surprising. That's what happens, but why not just pay down at tight end when value, when money is so, so important for this week. And Joku ended up getting only 3.7 points. Fryermuth got 5.9 points and 8% ownership. Zero points for Jawan Johnson at 7% ownership. Logan Thomas only had a two-point conversion at 4%. So overall, big W here from results-wise for Brevin Jordan. He got 9.4 points. And as I mentioned, 47% of the field played him. I don't want to say like it was a a huge mistake if you didn't play Brevin Jordan this one, but I'd say this was a good kind of learning opportunity for thinking through the larger landscape, thinking through like, hey, did you not consider playing CMC and Tyreek uh, because you didn't think it was maybe feasible to get that money, but man, just trying to kind of think through, share how I thought through that. But I do think Brevin Jordan was a, a, a must play for this week. Okay. Final spot of DST Atlanta Falcons are the highest projected DST on the slate. They were going against Tim Boyle, you know, Got the New York Jets that are just zeros on offense right now. Tim Boyle's taking sacks, throwing picks. So, and the reasonable price for the Falcons is only $3,400. So, the only other option kind of was if you wanted to pay all the way down, I think, at Patriots at $2,400 going against the Chargers. If you did that, it was about a four point difference in projections. And so, for me, with defense, it's like obviously I have a general idea of what I'm looking for in a defense, who they're going against, offensive, defensive line matchups. But I'm also very much willing to trust kind of the projections for, you know, the actual points because it's really difficult for me, even though I know like the situation matchup to say, hey, I think they should be projected for this versus this. And I'm going to lean on the numbers there. And so, when we're looking at these defensive comparisons, the Falcons are projected to score four more points than the Patriots. So if I'm going to drop down to the Patriots, I save $1,000. I need to make sure that that $1,000 goes a long way, that it's going to get me close to that four, at least three 
of those points to really clear that gap and then really take into account the larger kind of what does that lineup look like? We don't only want to depend on just the mean projection. So thinking through that $1,000, um, let's see. If I I could have gone, so the, the two wide receivers that I was talking about before was the Elijah Moore and the Deontay Johnson. I could have probably gotten around two to three points by moving off both of them. It would have moved me up to Curtis Samuel and Cortland Sutton, but I didn't think together those plays were substantially better than my wide receivers, even though they gained around two to three, you know, points in total. And you know, I think the Falcons also held substantially more upside in their matchup than what the Patriots had against the Chargers. So not only do you have the kind of mean projection standpoint, but I really liked what I had from like a wide receiver. I didn't think I was gaining too much by getting those, those upgrades. And I did think that the Falcons had a substantially higher upside than the Patriots. But this is where you really saw like a bunch of people that had 2v2s of this train started playing with. One was the one that I just mentioned, that Curtis Samuel Cortland one. Another option was you could drop the Falcons down to the Colts. You save $200. And then with the $200, you can upgrade from Deontay Downs uh, to Josh Downs. This one was looking decently sharp with the Colts DST putting up 17 points, having all those wonkiness against Tennessee, who apparently can't punt. Um, but Deontay ended up outscoring Downs with his late touchdown. Falcons also ended up putting up 17 points on DST. Um, so I, I don't hate either of these moves, but one thing to consider is when you're going to go in against the train, I think there's a larger strategy aspect, and especially like if you're playing a bunch of head-to-heads, do you want to have a ton of very tight 2v2s where even if you think you are a 52-48% favorite, if you're confident that like the train is going to be this in your head-to-heads, do you want to drop off that train, go with the downs and the Colts, where even if you think you're gaining a 1%, 2% edge from projection standpoint in head-to-heads, long-term, you're probably both just losing to the rake because it is kind of still a bit of a coin flip, coin flip versus you know, those 26 or so ties that I had, I don't really want to do a 1v1, 2v2 when I know they've got a pretty solid lineup because those are the trains. I'd rather often just be like, okay, you played the right lineup. I played the same one. We feel good about it. Let's just get our money back. Let's go spend our time and our, our dollars focused on the people who are playing the really bad lineups. Again, just a kind of strategy aspect for me. I'd rather take my money back, have that same lineup and just scoop up against the people who played the vastly different lineups. But to each their own from like a a strategy or larger macro aspects. So that is it for the cash recap. Once again, lineup scored 169.36. It finished top 20% double ups, 50-50s, 196% of my lineups, not including those ties. Um, You know, like to track the cash line for these, I think you all kind of are learning, but now and guessing that yes, in this situation where the train does well, the multi-entry double ups have a substantially higher cash line than the single entry. And that's what we saw today. $5 single entry double up cash line was 148.66. And the multi-entry was 158.14. So nine and a half points higher. Not surprising when the popular trains mostly did pretty well. All right, let's get to the injuries that we are monitoring. A lot of them, a lot of them, and some pretty serious ones from the players we've been pretty excited about. So starting off the biggest one, I think, Tank Dell, unfortunately, out for the year. Quite a tough loss here for people who drafted him in basketball. He's got a 30% advance rate right now. It's an absolute smash. Uh, But yeah, he is. we're not going to have him the rest of the regular season. This should help Nico Collins. 
And then after that, my guess is Stroud is just going to be spreading the ball around. You've got Robert Woods, Noah Brown. I've started seeing a little more John Mechie, so maybe we see a little more opportunity there. But no, Nico Collins is definitely the biggest benefactor here. Um, but tough, tough to see for Tank Dell. Another injury reminder is Stevenson. This one looked pretty bad with his ankle. I expect he'll be out for at least a couple weeks. I wouldn't be shocked if he's done for the year, depending on how bad the ankle injury is. And, you know, the Patriots are not in contention for anything. So why rush him back? It's ugly, but Zeke is legit going to be a fantasy player um, that's going to be meaningful just on volume for the rest of the year. Only he and Ramondre have really been getting any snaps. So to see, you know, Ramondre go down, yeah, we might see them kind of, we're going to see them bring in some other running back on the team. Maybe they don't want to give Zeke the full workload, but he's going to be the primary guy. I think the question becomes how much is he used in the past game? Because that's where a lot of Ramondre's value really came. Next running back, Derrick Henry had a two touchdown day today, but got hit in the head, likely going to be entering the concussion protocol. I expect that he'll probably miss next week against Miami, but could be back for the fantasy playoffs. We shall see. Tyje Spears in his absence looked really good. Uh, went 16 for seven, 16 carries for 75 yards. He also caught four balls for 13 yards. Not the best matchup next week against Miami, but could still have a solid day with the backfield to himself and being used in the past game. And then we'll see how long Henry is out, whether there's an impact come playoff time. Another running back, Brian Robinson. This one was a hamstring. The Commanders have a bye this week before a fantasy playoff schedule. They get the Rams, Jets, and 49ers. Pretty difficult schedule there, but if Brian Robinson is out for a bit, Antonio Gibson could have some solid games, especially in that week 15 right after the bye versus the Rams. The risk here, though, is that Chris Rodriguez could play a little more of the early down work instead of Gibson. We know that Gibson is going to be the primary pass catcher. The question becomes is how much of the rushing workload does he take? First, do they start giving to Chris Rodriguez? I don't know if noteworthy or not, but as mentioned earlier, Chris Rodriguez had the last three carries of the game, but that was also literally they were just running out the clock. So maybe you know that's why you give to him and just taking the starters out. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm cautiously optimistic on the Antonio Gibson side of things. Another running back, DeAndre Swift. This one looked like it hurt. He took a big hit from a pass over the middle. Uh, no initial clarity on what the injury is. And if he misses time, we can expect to see an increase in role for both Gainwell and Boston Scott. No, I do not think this means that Rashad Penny is going to become a playoff darling or anything like that. In general, though, I mean, this backfield hasn't been too fantasy friendly um, other than like you know DeAndre Swift using his athleticism to really make some big plays. And a lot of that comes down to Jalen Hurts. Hey, he's taking all of the goal line work and he's not passing that much to running backs. Today was maybe the, you know, today being an exception because they mostly trailed, which is a change for them. But for the most part, they're not really throwing to the running backs either. And so if you're not really catching passes as a running back and you're not getting the red zone, the goal line work, uh, it's hard to be too valuable uh, as a running back. Wide receiver. Let's go to Marquise Brown. I really don't know much about this injury other than they're calling it a heel injury. Uh, Hollywood, he put up a zero before the injury, not been able to find much kind of chemistry or rapport with Kyler that we've seen previous years. So it really feels like the offense just kind of runs through Trey McBride. And then when they're ahead, James Conner, as we saw today, 
this week they've got a buy. Uh, they're one of two teams, so it's just the Cardinals and the Commanders that have a buy this week. We'll see if Hollywood is able to recover, heal up before the playoffs. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think Trey McBride, James Conner, Rondell Moore to some degree. Rondell Moore had a couple of really nice opportunities in this game. Um, Dorch as well. They spread it around. All right. Another wide receiver, Amari Cooper. Another head injury, likely going to be another concussion, but Amari was showing really early rapport with Flacco, and you know Flacco looks to be an overall improvement to the offense from what we saw with DTR. So Cooper, though, will likely be entering the concussion protocol after leaving in the first half with a head injury. I don't think this is too impactful fantasy to the other pass catchers in this offense as the increased volume is probably offset by the team's overall efficiency. There really aren't that many just players in this offense. And so when you lost Chubb, you lose Amari Cooper. I'm just a little, I'm just really concerned about this offense overall. They may just become more and more run heavy for Jerome Ford. I'm just hoping that Kamari Cooper isn't out for long. Maybe he misses a week. We can hopefully get him back for the playoffs. I know personally I have him on my uh, 2K best ball league on DraftKings, so hoping for a speedy, speedy recovery for him. And one more wide receiver, this one coming in the late game with the Packers against the Chiefs, almost you know on near the very end of the game. Christian Watson takes an end around reverse and – Looked like he was kind of trying to slide to stay in bounds, but more I looked at it like maybe it's actually he got injured and then that combined with him just kind of going to the ground. He immediately, you know, immediately grabs his hamstring. So that's the assumption here. And this would just be devastating the Packers offense as they were just starting to get find a good rhythm with Jordan Love. I mean, Packers get a big win against the Chiefs, but this team has really struggled with injuries. We know Christian Watts was out for a lot earlier in the year. Aaron Jones has been in and out. Luke Musgrave is going to be out for a while. You know, Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed are probably going to see a little more volume, but the biggest loss here is obviously Christian Watson and then you know Jordan Love losing his most skilled pass catcher. Uh, tough, tough loss there, and hamstring injuries usually are not the quickest to recover from. And uh, let's finish with the two QB injuries, Derek Carr, Kenny Pickett. So for the Saints, weird to say, but like it'd probably actually be a fantasy plus if Carr missed a game as Jameis, he's going to turn the ball over. You accept that with him. But from a fantasy standpoint, he's also going to be chucking it all game long. Uh, It'd be better for Chris Olave. It'd be better for A.T. Perry. Maybe not as good for Alvin Kamara because you're not having as many check downs, but I just think like from a fantasy perspective, not a bad thing if Derek Carr misses for anyone other than really Derek Carr and maybe Kamara. Uh, As for Kenny Pickett, he's got an ankle injury, rather unfortunate after he looked so good last week. Mitchell Trubisky is the backup there. He's competent, but he's still going to be a step down from Pickett, even if you like him as a talent, just because of his lack of familiarity and timing with the starters in this offense. So we can expect that to take a bit of a hit. Maybe we see a little more Jalen Warren and Najee Harris touches. Okay, a lot to be watching as we head into the final week of the fantasy regular season. Next week, we have only those two teams on by, which I referenced, and that gives us the benefit of two simultaneous Monday Night Football games. So Tennessee at Miami, Green Bay at New York Giants. Maybe not the most exciting games, but I know a ton of people are going to be glued to their screens as the fantasy regular season, the best ball regular season come to a close. So best of luck to everyone as you try to make the playoffs, you set yourself up for a long run. I'll be back next week. We've got a fun late night Eagles at Cowboys Sunday night football game. 
I'll be hopping on to record the podcast right after that. I will see you all later.